0: Hello, I'm Zeb Newarth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on the podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, we are going to have the privilege, uh, and I mean that, the privilege in this dialogue of being introduced to how... Dr. Patrick Conway and his colleagues at Optum are transforming the delivery of healthcare across the country. I just have to say, I have been a huge fan of Dr. Conway's for so many years. Truly respect him for his humanitarian, patient centered vision, as well as just the extraordinary executive skill, acumen, and accomplishment he brings to all that he does. Now, before I introduce formally Dr. Conway to you, I'm going to make a request of you. If you find value in this podcast, please share it with your colleagues, share it online on LinkedIn and Twitter. To those of you who have already begun sharing the podcast, and and by the way, I do take notice of that. I greatly appreciate you for taking a moment to spread the podcast, but more importantly, to spread the word on creating a new healthcare. Dr. Patrick Conway Currently serves as the CEO of Care Solutions at Optum, part of United Health Group, where he leads a portfolio of care continuum businesses with over $30 billion in annual revenue, serving tens of millions of people across the country in acute care, post acute care, care at home, virtual care, mental and behavioral benefits and care, complex disease health management, specialty care, and government health services. And we're going to hear all about that. Prior to Optum, Dr. Conway was president and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina from 2017 to 2019, leading that organization to be recognized nationally for innovation, value-based payment and investments in better health outcomes. From 2011 to 2017, Dr. Conway served as Deputy Administrator for Innovation and Quality at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and as Director of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. Also was the agency's chief medical officer. Before joining CMS, he oversaw clinical operations and quality improvement at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. He remains a practicing pediatric hospitalist, a respected leader, innovator, and clinician. He was elected to the National Academy of Medicine in 2014 and received the President's Senior Executive Distinguished Service Award, and he also was a White House Fellow from 2007 to 2008. Again, just such a privilege. Patrick, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Zeb. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, my great pleasure. It's so great to have you on the podcast again. Patrick, before we dive in... Could you share a little bit about the overall structure of Optum, the various components of that organization, and maybe then dive into Optum Care and Care Solutions, just to give a little bit of the lay of the land?
1: Yeah, so you have United Health Group, which has Care and Optum. You know, UnitedHealthCare is, is the largest payer in the U.S. with traditional, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, and commercial uh, business lines, including the individual market now. On the Optum side, we have OptumRX, our PBM business; Optum Insights, our data and technology business; and Optum Health, our care delivery business. Within Optum Health, I lead our care solutions portfolio, and that includes, you know, home and community businesses, as you said, post-acute businesses, mental and behavioral, especially in complex care, federal health services. So, great team delivering care, as you said, to tens of millions of people yeah you know, all centered around value based care delivery to improve health outcomes and lower total cost of care
0: wow that is a complex organization that you're in yes in terms <laughs> i, I want to focus on some of the clinical programs or areas starting with home based care you've made a, a number of acquisitions in that domain of home based care community care transitions of care first question Why focus on home-based care? Why why is that important right now in healthcare delivery?
1: Yeah, so you know, pretty soon after I started, I was asked to start working on some of our home uh, and community-based businesses and mental and behavioral, which I think we're talking about. You know, in home-based care, increasingly first members, patients, people want to receive care in their home often. You know, they want to stay as healthy as possible in their home. So there's a patient preference issue. For many of the patients we care for also, you know, they may be dual eligible, they may have challenges getting to a clinic or other environment. So serving in their in their home may be necessary. For us, we'll take a population, we'll talk about Optum at home for a second. So it's full risk care for dual eligibles, Medicare and Medicaid, we're taking responsibility for total cost of care, quality and experience. Total cost of care goes down significantly because we're decreasing things like hospitalizations, ER visits, doing medication management, et cetera. Quality results, 99% of the, the members in these Optimate Home programs are in four-star greater plans, many of them in four-and-a-half, five-star. So positive quality results. And then from an experience, you know, if you look at caps or net promoter score in the high 80s, so just a great experience. Yeah, you know, Zev, I, you know me, I like to bring in patient stories as well. Mm-hmm. So I uh, went on a visit with one of our landmark physicians, which is part of the, the broader Optum at Home portfolio. And a uh, 91 year old in the home, had 10 plus chronic conditions, had had mental health issues after the passing of her husband, was low income and needed home modifications to prevent falls, connections to social determinants of health, including addressing food and transportation. You know, you walk in the home and she, you know, hugs the doctor, Debbie was her first name, and says, you know, love this physician, changed my life, had gone from being hospitalized 10 plus times a year to zero, huge impact on on this woman's life. And then walking out with the geriatrician, yeah, I said, why'd you come work doing this home-based work? And she said, you know, I used to be a geriatrician doing 50-minute office visits and I was burnt out. And now I get to go see five or six patients a day in their home and I get to have this kind of impact on their lives. So, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, that, I hope that story illustrates the power of home-based care, especially for those that are, you know, have multiple chronic conditions, maybe on Medicare and Medicaid, but that's, that's really the work that, you know, our frontline clinicians are doing every day.
0: That's fantastic. You raised another point here. And I, I think as people are hearing a doctor seeing five or six patients a day, how do you make that an economically viable business yeah. model? Do you want to speak to that or?
1: Yeah, you, ha- you have to do it in a risk based arrangement. So, in that model, we're taking uh, our preferences take full risk. Sometimes we take partial risk. So we're taking responsibility from the payer, and it's a multi payer model, whether it's United Healthcare, another national payer, or regional payer. We're taking responsibility for total cost of care, quality experience. So we guaranteed the quality results, we're guaranteeing the total cost of care MLR results, and we're guaranteeing the, the level of experience we're gonna deliver. And you can only really make that work in that kind of financial model, honestly, like in a fee for service world, you know, maybe someday our macro payment system will change, we can talk about that if you want. But in the current environment, the way to make that financially viable is a, a full risk or a significant risk relationship, where you're then able to make the investments in things like social determinants of health, mental and behavioral, social workers, pharmacists uh, to support the model, and as you said, you know, support a physician or a nurse practitioner or other clinician, you know, seeing much less patients, but in this intense environment.
0: It's so interesting that you're. Offering this, you said multi payer. So it's not just for United Healthcare, it's for other payers as well.
1: Yes, exactly right. So, you know, our home and community models serve multiple payers, and that, that's core to who we are. So mm-hmm. at Optum, you know, we're sort of adamantly multi payer and serving multi payer. And how do we grow and serve payers other than United Healthcare in addition to United Healthcare? But it, it's, it's critical to the model.
0: Yeah. One of the areas that, I mentioned this to you before we got on, was just this notion that here you have a payer, what what traditionally was considered a payer. In fact, people still will call Optum or United a payer, and then some of us started to refer to you all as Mm -hmm. payviders. Excuse me, you have providers and payers, but neither term really sort of characterizes what you are and what you're becoming. And I was wondering if we could just take a little bit of a sidebar moment if you could. How do you see this sort of evolution of whatever it is Optum is? What is it now? What is it becoming? I'm really, really interested in in your take on that.
1: You've got to give credit where credit's due. Steve Hemsley, Larry Renfro, Dave Wickman, Andrew Whitty, and many others before me, really started to build Optum as a health services company with the components we described, care delivery, pharmacy, data and technology. You now see other entities trying to mimic this and build out a health services arm alongside a payer. But I think the power of Optum and really the reason I'm here is you have scale. We will serve just in Optum Health over 100 million people next year. There's not many places with that level of scale. And as you put these pieces together, our Optum care clinics, our home and community resources, integrating mental and behavioral, which we may talk about, you know, mm-hmm. specialty care, mm-hmm. you know, the data and technology to underline that that's just a huge opportunity to deliver at scale better health outcomes and a lower total cost of care. And to go back to the payer aspect, you know, if we're in a market and we're working with multiple payers in the market, that actually allows you to, to even drive more change in that, that market, that state, if you will, because you're serving a greater and greater proportion of the, of the patients. You know, the other thing I know um, sometimes you ask is, will we work with Health systems and primary care physicians and clinicians in the market. So, you know, our goal is actually to figure out, you know, how you work with the different providers in the market to generate the best outcomes for the population in that market. So that's another key tenet. I think sometimes it's a natural tendency in healthcare, I've noticed, for people to view things as competitive. I think more often we need to reframe that on how we partner together. And so what I and we are trying to do at Optimus think, you know, how do we partner with health systems? How do we partner with payers? You know, how do we partner with social and community-based organizations to drive the, the better health outcomes at lower costs that we want?
0: I really appreciate that sense of collaboration and partnering with other stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem at the market level. My next question will definitely be on, on the issue of behavioral health because it's so, so important. One of the things I've noticed about we use the term health services company. One of the things I've noticed about Optum and other large entities like Optum is the sort of ability or the approach of acquisitions. So, if you, in terms of even you building up a, a home-based care strategy, or you know, we're going to talk in a moment about a behavioral health, mental health strategy, it seems to me you don't try to. Necessarily build it all yourself. You look at who's out there, what's out there, and how to put the pieces together. Sort of curate and 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 aggregate and then integrate that. I wonder if you could speak to that. If that's something that that is the case, in fact,
1: it is. So I'd say we're a combination of of building and acquiring. And let let me um let me give you a couple examples. So one in home community, the optimum at home the the full risk care for duels we built starting in one market as you often do testing it learning in one market initially with united healthcare and then now we've expanded to you know now multiple markets the whole home and community platform is national so in all 50 states you had a house calls program which was a small acquisition scaled up you know, episodic care for people in their homes. Landmark was an acquisition that is now part of that Optum at Home, home and community model, which was, you know, full risk care and the Medicare Advantage population. So it's often a combination of, of build and acquisition as we uh, build out these care models. In mental and behavioral, we had a, a benefits business, so health insurance and mental and behavioral, uh, which we can talk more about. Yeah. But we've added able to virtual care for mental and behavioral refresh, which was in clinic care for mental and behavioral, and then ultimately bring that all into the Optum family and say, you know, how are we going to use these different resources? I often talk about Mrs. Jones internally. Mm-hmm. So imagine my 85-year-old mother's with me right now. Uh, I won't call it Mrs. Conway. I usually use Mrs. Jones. But mm-hmm. how do we center these set of resources, capabilities, clinicians to serve Mrs. Jones you know, an 85-year-old in Medicare Advantage over time and space. So when she has physical, mental, social needs, other healthcare needs, that we're there for her. And it won't just be us, right? She's going to sometimes have to go to the hospital or, you know, she may have a primary care clinician that's part of the Optum family. Terrific. You know, she may have a primary care clinician who's not part of the Optum family. Either way, we need to coordinate with that primary care physician, that clinician in a clinic to make sure that we are you know serving Mrs Jones as best as possible so that that's how i'd share the sort of mix of buy bill partner
0: mm-hmm. and you you just raised another issue of sort of that coordination of care which i think is so important too and so is that as you have these acquisitions and sort of this building and buying and putting it together it must be very, very intentional in terms of how you look at, like you said, this individual that you've created and how you're going going to make sure that the care that she receives is integrated. Do you have like teams that help you do that or as you think through this or how how does that work?
1: We do. And look, I don't, like all organizations, you know, we're evolving, trying to improve all the time, including me and all of our teams. So I don't want to, you know, we certainly haven't figured this all out yet. But yeah, we will, you know, we will integrate, various capabilities, assets, companies, teams, and then figure out how we utilize that service to better serve the members we serve. So Health was a big post-acute acquisition soon after I started. You then integrate that and you say, okay, how are we gonna utilize this, this business that takes risk in the post-acute and we think it's best in class and transitioning people from hospital, uh, nursing home if needed to home. And how are we then going to use that across the enterprise to serve our patients, our members' needs, and do it in a multi-payer way? So that that business today still sold serves, you know, multiple large national payers, you know, lots of regional payers. And then how do we use that? You know, if that that person, Mrs. Jones, is seen by NaviHealth Health at discharge, how do we coordinate with her with the primary care clinician afterwards? If the if that member meets criteria for home and community based care for more intense care in the home, how do we have that warm handoff to that team to make sure that we don't you know we keep track of Mrs. Jones and deliver the care that she needs across the care continuum?
0: Yeah, no, this is great. I really appreciate it. Patrick. Thank you for diving into the weeds there with me. I yeah. I don't usually go that deep, quite honestly. But no, we, it's all right.
1: And look, we have like I yeah. said, we're still working. I don't want to yeah. overplay this. I mean, no, you know, yeah, yeah. With all big complex systems. There's work to do. Yeah. But, but that, you know, that's what makes it fun and interesting too, with the teams, you know, how do we keep getting better every day and and serving the members, the patients that we serve?
0: Yeah. I think this is actually important. And I'm thinking maybe I do need to, to do this more often because again, I'm thinking even my own day job, so much of this is literally that at that level, how do you, you have all these powerful assets and tools and amazingly brilliant people and programs, but But making them integrated and seamless for that patient, that's really, it's, you know, it's where the rubber hits the road. So I do appreciate us diving into that depth, but I do want to kind of pull back and ask you, you you did mention behavioral health. It is such a big issue in our country and it is so underserved and it's just continuing to get worse and worse. And so interested to hear, you've mentioned it in our, in our correspondence, you've mentioned it here a number of times. What are you all doing in that zone?
1: Yeah. Yeah. look, I'll try to not be too long-winded because it's a deep passion of mine for a long time. Look, first, I've experienced the mental and behavioral system as a person, as an immediate family member, as a practicing physician. And um, I think it's it's fundamentally broken in this country. Mm. I mean, we're in crisis. Mm. There are people every single day that need care desperately and, you know, our job should be how do we get them access to evidence-based, high-quality care as fast as possible, and we integrate that care, mental health care, with, with physical care. Let me tell you a, a, a clinical story to just bring it home, and, and this story makes me deeply sad. I still work in the weekend on the hospital on weekends. Almost every weekend, I have children and adolescents that are hospitalized with mental and behavioral health issues because the outpatient system failed them you know, had a a 14-year-old adolescent who tried to call over 100 outpatient providers because she knew she was severely depressed, Uh, ended up going to the top floor of her building, which was luckily only three floors tall, Mm -hmm. jumped off, fractured both of her legs, which we have now fixed, and we're still working on getting her outpatient behavioral health care. That is horrible it's horrible for the system. It's horrible for the individual. It's horrible for the family. Like We have to do better, which is why I shared the story. So, And this person had no relationship to any of my businesses. It, you know, it just happened to be a family that I took care of clinically. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing? In Optum Behavioral Health, our benefits business, we insure over 40 million Americans. And working with that team, it's how do we get access uh, through networks of providers, that we're increasingly tiering, working with, with, having value-based contracts, using digital means. We call it omni-channel. Anyway, someone comes in. How do we get them the care they need? Whether it's depression, anxiety, substance use, you know, mild illness, etc. Increasingly, we're we're investing in care delivery. So we now have over 5,000 behavioral health psychiatrists, therapists, others, clinicians virtually in all 50 states and clinics in 30 plus states. And so how do we use those, those clinicians to provide care for depression, anxiety, et cetera? And then increasingly, how do we integrate with both home and community and primary care? So that if a person has, you know, as you know, Zeb, a, you know diabetes plus depression, if we actually treat the depression, you can there's evidence on this, as you know, you can lower total cost of care substantially and you get better health outcomes for the patient. So how do we make sure we're reliably treating not only somebody's physical needs, but their mental and behavioral health needs as well, whether that's depression, substance use, or whatever that need may be. So that, that's the core of what we're working on.
0: Wow. First of all, that was such a tragic story to hear about the patient that you were caring for. And yet at the same time, that's been my experience too, taking care of Patients and just observing friends and family members, the the system for behavioral health is is really in need of repair. Five thousand providers in behavioral health—that's just immense.
1: Yeah, and we need more probably. I mean, it's just the need. So two things there: just to, the need is immense. So we will need more behavioral health clinicians. The other thing we're working on is how do you intervene earlier upstream? How do you use digital and other tools? How do you use coaching, peer to peer support? So you get people the right level of care. So those who need a behavioral clinician, you can get them to a clinician. Those who need medication and and sort of psychiatric level of care, you get them there. But there's, you know, we, we believe if you intervene earlier, there may be a, a larger portion of the population that you may be able to intervene with digital tools, coaching, peer-to-peer support, you know, earlier in their mental health trajectory. So we're working on all of the above.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's so important. This notion of, and I, I sort of I'm inferring this from what you're saying, but the notion of really trying to reframe how care is delivered so it cannot be the way we did it in the past. Maybe you could say a word about that. How how are you using not only the new technologies, but just new thinking to create the access that's needed?
1: Yeah, I mean, at one point I, I work as a hospitalist now, but at one point I worked in an FQHC and kids, right? And so what we did back then, which we know is, you know, you would just refer into this network that often when you did the follow-up, you know, the people weren't actually able to get the mental and behavioral health care they need. So so what are we trying to do now? You know, we are partnering with clinics to say, okay, how do we ensure we have the capacity you need, either in-person or virtual? Increasingly, we should make sure we say this, in, in mental and behavioral health, we're still seeing over half of the care delivered virtually, as opposed to in-person in clinics. And we're actually seeing patient preference so that, Many patients actually prefer that. They, you know, it's easier than taking time off work, you know, going to a clinic, et cetera. They'd rather have a virtual appointment, you know, in our hybrid work environment, et cetera, uh, that they find that easier. So a lot of this is telehealth delivered, but we also offer in-person. And then how do you measure the outcomes? So, as you know, things like PHQ nine and, and depression, which are you know, should be routinely measured, uh, but are not necessarily. So these are patient reported outcomes. And then how do you feed that, how do you improve those outcomes over time? And, and by the way, how do you feed that information back to the primary care clinician? So they know, oh, I referred to a, a optimum clinician through Able to. They went through, you know, eight cognitive behavioral therapy sessions, and now I can see their depression and anxiety are significantly better. So that's kind of the system we're trying to build on the ground if that makes sense
0: it does and i think the system is the key word you yeah yeah right want to build a little bit of, uh, about sort of how you're reframing care and so i'm going to jump to a couple of questions if you don't mind and you could pick which ones you want to dive okay. into but optum recently signed a, a 10-year partnership with walmart mm-hmm. having to do with medicare advantage I, I thought that was a really interesting approach I hear what you say. The desire to really bring cost-effective, high-quality, impactful care to as many people as you can—that scale you're talking about—and so I'm I'm wondering, how does this? Is this sort of a a very unique or different way? This sort of partnership. How how are you thinking about that? As much as you can share.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, We're as we said publicly, you know, we're very excited about the partnership. It's rare where you have two Fortune five companies partner together, so that's a rare event. We believe that the combination of of Walmart and Optum United Health Group, you know, has the ability to drive some real positive change in the healthcare system in terms of value based care deliveries, and we're supporting them and their value based care delivery efforts. Call out one which we haven't talked about is rural health. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Walmart is in a lot of uh, rural locations across the U.S. Together, could Walmart and Optum put together a, a set of offerings that include in-person care in, in Walmarts, also virtual care, dealing with you know physical, mental, dental, vision, et cetera, and, and that really address some of the disparities we see in rural health care. So I think that's just you know one tangible example where we think the partnership may be able to address a real need in the in the nation's healthcare system.
0: I, I want to pick up on the rural health, because thank you for, for raising that point. So it, it sounds like it's going to be a, an Optum Medicare Advantage insurance product that you're using or vehicle. And then you're also working with, from a clinical, operational provider perspective, you're working with Walmart as the clinician, as the clinical model, but you're also using some of your support services to help yep. the clinic in terms of managing care. So is that coming close to the picture? Or?
1: Yeah, you, you know, you've got it. You know, they've got a, a set of Walmart health clinics today, and we're supporting value-based care delivery from, you know, risk-based ca- contracting to data and technology, et cetera. So as we said in the announcement, you know, supporting their value-based care delivery. We also, as you noted, announced in one state a uh, Medicare Advantage plan with Walmart, and so a lot of this is we're early. You saw the announcement. I think you characterized Mm -hmm. the announcement correctly. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, you know, the exciting question going forward is, you know, what else could we do together? And I think rural health is one real tangible example of that potential.
0: It really is. I just, came across something like this, but my understanding is that out of the 10,000 or so Walmart centers, something around 40% of them are in these medically underserved areas. That's really a huge potential for creating an option for rural health that doesn't exist in the market.
1: Yeah, and I I believe Walmart is still the number one producer slash servicer of food in the nation. Feel free to check me on that. I'm not an expert on the grocery supply chain, but they are a major supplier of food Think about the connection between, as you know, food and health. So, mm-hmm. how could we work together in rural areas to connect not only just clinical care but social determinants of health, including you know healthy foods, et cetera? So, I just yeah, you know, I think a lot of opportunities to be determined, but an exciting partnership.
0: As we're talking about in this case so with Walmart, the, the Medicare Advantage value-based care support of their clinics, it seems to me, and I was I was just on a CMS was holding a, a webinar actually it was Lan. Mm-hmm.
1: We helped start the land. I remember.
0: Oh, did you really? Yeah, I was. I was actually thinking <laughs> During about my you. time at listening.
1: CMI. Oh I'm my glad God, it's still going.
0: It's still going, and it's the right work. It's the right direction. Yet, when you look across the country, still the vast majority of care is the overwhelming majority of care is still fee for service. And yep. so, I hear what you're doing and what's happening at Optum. I mean, it seems to me that, in some sense, Optum has has sort of a certain advantage in terms of really moving quicker. And it's not just Optum, it's some of the other, as you would say, sort of health service companies that have insurance arms in them. You've been in hospital systems, you've been on another payer side, now you're at Optum, which is this yep. larger entity. I mean, how do you see this? Are you experiencing that you can actually move much faster into the domain of value-based care given where you are? What is the advantage there or, or, or is it not really? It's yep. just that there's some other reason here.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think we have a lot of opportunities and aligned incentives, capabilities, et cetera, that enable us to move quickly into value-based care. To take a step back, and you know, we knew each other when I was in North Carolina as well. If you think about and led Blue Cross North Carolina, mm-hmm. yeah, if you think about hospitals and health systems, I always say is for them to really move into value-based care, they're they're going to need to truly want to do it. So cultural alignment. Mm-hmm. not just partially test, but really move into more full risk arrangements. Number one, number two, they are going to have to have aligned payers. So at least a significant share of the payers in their market willing to, you know, have those kind of contracts. As, as you know, when I was at Blue Cross, North Carolina, you know, we were willing to do that and do things like try to truly partner, share data, uh, you know, how are we going to move together and divide as, as you know, the blue premier, you know, went from essentially 0% of payments in Blue Cross North Carolina into arrangements that were total cost of care quality experience to over 50% in 18 months. I'm, of course, no longer at Blue Cross North Carolina, but they've published the results, you know, saving over $500 million was the last press release I saw. Mm-hmm. That's significant in a state like North Carolina. So if you're a health system, you're gonna need a partner. If you're a payer, a blues plan or a large national payer, you've gotta be willing to really move and push in the value-based arena. You know, if you're Optum, we're sort of, we are part of a large organization, United Health Group, and as I said, serving multiple payers. We also have a set of capabilities, services, clinicians that I think allow us to be creative and innovative how we put those together. Um, But that's how I think about it at a macro level. And, you know, if you're a small, independent primary care practice, you may need support. So many of them have partnered with various entities across the country to move to value-based care. So... Uh, that's how I think about it at a, at a macro level.
0: Is there something more, or if you were talking to a group, and I'm sure you have spoken to groups of hospital-based healthcare system leaders, CEOs, and if the topic was, the question is, how do we do this? How do we do this faster? How do we move on it faster? Because I, I mean, I think we're across the country, we're just seeing, I'm not going to say it's stalled, but it's, it's moving pretty darn yeah. slowly. Yeah. What would be the one, two, three things you would say that have to be in place or that we could work on? I and mean, maybe, maybe it is some unique yeah. or new or different sort of partnership or collaboration that doesn't even exist today. Or I'm curious what you would think about that and what you would say to them.
1: Yeah, so I'd say a couple of things. I think one is, I mean, I do think you have to be willing to take on some level of risk. And I don't mean just financial risk, although it's financial risk, but it's also, you know, cultural risk, leadership risk. You know, you're going to, sort of lead through this journey. So the health systems I've seen be more successful. They have a leader, a team of leaders that are very clear about the North Star and push through because there will be bumpy roads, if you will, as you move from fee service to real value, that's one. Two, partnerships, and you know, just to make sure I say this, Optum works with almost nine out of 10 health systems in the country in some form or fashion. In some, we have very deep partnerships. So you know, SSM, John Muir, a number across the country where we have very deep partnerships. So partnerships, whether it's with Optum or someone else, are certainly a possibility. Three, really like we talked about, and this varies by market. I mean it varies, you know, you do need some set of your payers that are really willing to partner. You know, I've met with some health systems and that say, you know, in my market that's really that's not on my payers are working. I mean that's tough. That's a difficult situation to be in because it's yeah you if know, the payer's not willing to move with you in the, the hospital health system you you may get unfortunately left with sort of an argument over fee-for-service rates, which I don't think is very helpful to any party. But you do need a sort of willing set of payers if you're a hospital or health system.
0: Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And I was just, it's funny, you mentioned the Optum collaboration or partnership with SSM. I was just looking at something about that again. Is there a lesson in that to be learned? Is that something that could be emulated in, by other yeah. healthcare systems?
1: I try I try not to be too much of a salesperson, but at the risk, <laughs> I do. I mean, you know, I, I work at Optum, so I'm not unbiased. I was just, I was at SSM not too long ago with, with some of their leaders. Look, I, I think it could be emulated. I think the question for any organization is, you know, by working together, can we go faster? So obviously in the partnerships we've announced, we think it'll be faster, better for all parties. You know, we determine what are they doing, what are we doing, et cetera. And then we have a governance structure, if you will, over that, uh, both at senior levels and more on the ground levels, to execute on the partnership on behalf of the members, the patients, the people we serve. So, yeah, I think I think in health systems you're going to see more partnerships broadly, including with you know Optum and others. Then I think that's a good thing because it brings you know technology, innovation, change into the health system environment. And you know, we partnered with in Blue Cross North Carolina. It's also a way to uh, drive change sometimes when you you may be, how do I accelerate? And in partnership may be the right answer to drive the change faster for your system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think what you said a moment ago in terms of you, you're seeing that in the future, there could be more partnerships. I do think that's almost kind of a, an answer through some of the competition, if you will, where I was kind of thinking and going with this is a moment ago, we were talking about Optum and Walmart and and this is no secret. I mean, I think for years we've been looking across the country, everyone's looking at at the Amazon and, and CVS and Optum and Walmart and Walgreens and, and wondering, is this the new healthcare, right? These are large organizations with lots of resources, national scale, making acquisitions. Where does that leave provider groups and hospital systems? And A, I, I'm curious as to what you think the next three, five, seven years will look like in that regard. In terms of the competitive landscape. And I think you, in some sense, offered a, a little bit of a wormhole through that, sort of a, a way to get through that it might be, actually be through new collaborations and partnerships that yeah. haven't been in the way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think you nailed it. So I'll be brief. Like, you know, do we have disruption coming to healthcare? Uh, of course we do. We could debate the pace. And then, okay, if you're a hospital and health system, what does that look like? Look, if I, I'm not running a hospital or health system, but if I was, I would look very closely on partnerships. Okay, if I'm gonna deliver more care in the community, who do I partner with? Who are my key payer partners? Who are the organizations that I could partner with to drive the change faster? I, I do think that is how I view the world. I also, um, you know, just go back a little bit to the urban and rural. We did some models when I was at CMI that gave rural hospitals, one was in Pennsylvania as an example, to really become sort of ERs, basic medical, but then trans, you know, transport or transition out more complex care that you know, may be profitable in a fee-for-service environment, but really should be done in, in larger centers. So yeah, I think in the rural hospital, my hypothesis is there's a way to have a rural healthcare, including rural hospitals that is sustainable, but I think we'll have to sort of migrate uh, the care model, if you will, to really be population-based, community-based care in the community by the hospital as opposed to, you know, four joint interventions or five cardiac surgeries because those happen to be profitable. So I think there's a way to shift rural healthcare in a way that's actually positive and population health-based.
0: Yeah. And boy, again, you just really, I think, hit the nail on the head here with that that notion of, I think, just naming, again, the fee-for-service high-margin procedures this is the way particularly with commercial payment this is the way hospital based healthcare systems are making their revenue and margin which uh, these days is razor razor thin very very hard to make that transition you have to run the business you cannot allow it to go under and so when i was in boston we we were talking at the time we were actually with blue cross blue shield of boston and the the proposition was sort of an investment by the payer in the future of healthcare and so to make that transition easier yep. and i I think the people in healthcare really believe the people, the leaders in healthcare are just brilliant and and amazing at their jobs and want to do the right thing. The question is, I think we need a bridge. And I'm just wondering how, what what thoughts you've, I'm sure you've thought about this. No, I
1: have. Look, back in my CMS, CMMI days, we had an advanced payment model for ACOs, which gave to smaller uh, rural hospitals and health systems and physician practices, (laughs) you know, and did payments in advance. As it described, that actually was one of the successful CMI models. It improved quality and lowered total cost of care. I think there's a lesson there. You know, at Blue Cross North Carolina, we made investments in independent primary care, as you may remember, and advanced investments Mm -hmm. to try to support those changes. So I do think there's something there. Even at Optum, you know, we make investments in care models up front as we transition to value so we know as we take risk on new patient populations they in fact often will not be profitable because you're starting to manage their chronic disease etc that may have gone up uh, unmanaged but they become more profitable over time as you improve their health outcomes as you reduce hospitalizations as you you know drive the change we want so you know i do think this concept of uh, investing ahead of the curve makes sense and particularly Important and you know independent position practices, rural areas, etc.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I would say I think it's important for the large systems because at that yep. scale, the bets that are made are serious, right? And and they have yep. consequences. And so I think it's one thing for senior leaders to have courage, it's another for them. I mean, they've got to be cautious and conservative. And so if we were inviting into this conversation leaders from given your experience and given, you know, hey, this works, this sort of advanced payment. Given what's happening right now, and, and just this week, we saw the uh, strategic refresh that CMS put, put out again. I haven't, I haven't, I printed it. I haven't read it yet. So, yeah. but if you have one, and I was blown away, by the way, the, the people at CMS and CMI are just, they're beyond brilliant. Any recommendation you have in terms of what they're doing, things you support, things that you think they yeah. might do differently?
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, talked to you know, Liz Fowler, sent it to me, so I've read it quickly, I'll admit, not in great depth. And I think you've now had five CMI directors, interestingly, data uh, random fact, two Democratic appointment, two Republican. I was actually not political. Uh, I was the only one who was not political uh, of the five. And I think it's truly bipartisan. Great people, as you said. You know, as we think about the next iteration, I think we are, you had a beginning phase that was, you know, can we get started? Where we had 0% of payment in these alternative payment models. And, you know, went to greater than 30%, more than $200 billion, over 200,000 signed provider agreements over a four-year period, actually ahead of schedule. You know, then after our time, you sort of move to more two-sided risk, evolved models. I think with Liz Fowler and the team now, it's they're building equity into all the models. I think that's terrific. They're parsing out, you know, which models can we scale up and really focus on. I think Terrific. I think the push. They also put out this sort of specialty-focused model, including the idea of at some point in the future having mandatory episode-based payment models. I think how we address specialty care and how we, in targeted ways, use mandatory models, uh, and I think episode-based payment is is one of the examples that is a good one uh, where they could have positive effects. You know, I think overall they're they're definitely going in the right direction. Then it gets to pace. I, know I always want the world to move faster, so. You know, I'd encourage them to move faster, just always easier said than done. I've been in their seats. It's not always easy to get through clearance and various things, but what I always worry about is the people falling through the cracks, whether it's at Optum or at CMS, you know, how do we move faster so we prevent people falling through the cracks? We really incentivize the value-based care delivery system we all want.
0: Yeah, that's a great, great point. Patrick, I, I know our time is coming to an end here. Any final comments or thoughts before I close this out?
1: Look, one, thank you for your time. I always enjoy the discussions and learn from them. Two, I just encourage all the listeners, like the time is now. It sort of builds on the last point I made. There are people across the country today that need mental and behavioral health care, care in their home, you know, care in clinics across the country. They want a system that centers around them, that delivers those better health outcomes and, you know, terrific experience and lower total cost of care, more affordable. And so the time is now, I'd encourage your listeners to push as fast as possible, innovate, create, keep learning, keep measuring, and uh, hopefully together we can build the health health system that's truly better for everyone.
0: Well, my friends and colleagues, I'm gonna bring this podcast to a close. I can't thank you, Patrick, enough for taking the time to be here with us today. I, I have to say, people complain about healthcare and critique healthcare. I am just so grateful that we have leaders like you in healthcare today with your capabilities and your vision. Just, again, can't thank you enough. And as I do every episode, I, I conclude by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients, or those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. I mean, we heard some real patient stories from Patrick today. It, it is critically important work. Truly appreciate you for what you're doing. Recognize how important it is to the individuals you care for their families, their communities, and our society as a whole. This is Zeb Newerth on creating a new healthcare. My friends, until next time, be safe and be well.